everyone, and welcome to episode five of The Roadmap, the podcast on best practices and trending topics in auto finance. This podcast comes from the Center for Auto Finance Excellence, the industry resource for best practices and advice for auto finance professionals. This is the fifth episode in our new monthly series of podcasts presented by the Center for Auto Finance Excellence through generous support of Fiserv and Datascan. So thank you to them both. I am Natalie Madela, your host and the deputy editor of Auto Finance News. As always, episodes of The Roadmap will be posted on our website at autofinanceexcellence.org, which we encourage everyone to join if you haven't done so already. So be sure to check that out. Our goal here at The Roadmap is to welcome enlightened and thought-provoking guests from across the industry to talk out some key issues and opportunities in the space. And we have a really great episode for just such a talk. Scott Hendricks is the Director of Product Management for Auto Originations at Fiserv. Scott has more than 20 years of experience in the consumer finance industry from both the lender and service provider sides of the business. He spent 10 years in the mortgage lending, consumer lending, and indirect auto lending segments of the market originating receivables for both prime and non-prime portfolios. During this time, he worked very closely in many aspects of credit operations, including credit management, risk management, and compliance. Since joining Fiserv in 2002, Scott has been very involved in the development of the auto LOS product and now serves as the Director of Product Management for Auto Originations. I am pleased to welcome Scott to this episode of The Roadmap. So, Scott, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Great. Well, um, so let's just jump right into my questions. So, um, according to your most recent uh, quarterly consumer trends research, um, it mentioned 49% of consumers first identify the item they want and then investigate their financing options. So, my question for you is just in what ways is the online environment changing the times for financial providers and putting pressure on those lenders? Well, I think when you look back at the history of auto finance and when I got into this business over 20 years ago, you know, all of it was done through the dealership in person. So the customer was going to the dealership, picking out the vehicle that they would want to purchase. And then the dealership would offer to arrange financing for that particular customer. Uh, the dealer would decide what bank to send that to, and the dealer would negotiate on behalf of the borrower with the bank to put together some type of finance package for that customer. And what we've seen over the last you know, five to six years is really that sales, the purchasing aspect of the vehicle has moved largely online. Um, borrowers now are able to go out and do all the research about the cars they want to buy. They're able to see um, you know, what option packages are available, identify which dealers in the area may have or not in the area for that fact, may have that particular car that they want. Um, and they can arrange, you know, negotiate the price online and negotiate for the purchase of the vehicle. Uh, the success that we're seeing on the sales side of it is now starting to migrate over to the finance side of it. Um, you know, the more that consumers go online, the more transparency that they're looking for. You know, they want to be able to see, you know, what finance options are out there. They want to be educated on what those finance options are. Um, borders are no longer really an issue. They can order a car from, you know, three states away if that's what they want to do or even further. So it's putting a lot of pressure on lenders now to be able to provide an online experience that in some ways mimics that the experience they were previously getting within the dealership itself. And then when you look at that process, there, it introduces a lot of other things in the online arena that lenders historically have not had to deal with. 
um, you know, things like fraud prevention, risk management, and those types of things that typically, you know, the capturing of the application and, and identifying the borrower were all done by the dealer. Um, now that we're doing that at, you know, point of sale online, it's on the lenders now to have to fulfill some of those obligations. So it's really changing the landscape of how lenders reach borrowers and, and how they originate those loans. It's very different now than it was, you know, even five, six years ago. Gotcha. So in um, in reference to these different finance options, so um, something that was also mentioned in the um, consumer trends research was alternative deal structures. So can you maybe offer some examples of, of what some of those structures are for those who may not be familiar? Sure. So alternative deal structures are really a way for lenders to reach the borrower and provide those options to the borrower outside of just maybe the single request that they submitted. Um, so if you think about it, typically a credit application asks for, you know, a set term and an amount of money that the customer wants to finance. And then depending on some type of risk profile, that'll lead to an interest rate. And those three pieces really get us to the, to the actual monthly payment. Um, there's many, many options that are available to customers in the dealer finance world, and they're not always going to know what those are up front. So the idea of alternate deal structure is the ability really to give the borrower at that point of decision all of the different things that might be available to them beyond just the requests that they put through or beyond the options that they know are available. Um, and really when I think about it, they really fall into four distinct categories or, or uh, types of, of alternate deal structures. And really the first, which is the kind of original alternate deal structure, is the idea of a payment call. Uh, and that is that instead of approving the customer for a specific, you know, amount finance in a specific term, um, you know, approve the customer on a on a given payment amount that fits within their budget. Uh, the dealer or the customer can then work within that payment structure to be able to identify a car that they can afford to buy and a term that will work for them within that payment. Um, the second type, which is really the one that's kind of starting to gain a lot of momentum now, you know, is the idea of, of an alternate condition or an auto condition. Um, you know, the customer wants to buy a seven- or eight-year-old car, uh, and they're looking for, a, say, a 72-month term, but that particular vehicle doesn't qualify for the 72-month term. Uh, instead of turning that customer down, the lender could offer them an alternate uh, structure at a lower term. Uh, it might be a higher payment, but at least at a lower term that will qualify for that particular car. Uh, in the end, that's a better experience for the customer because they're getting a, an option to finance as opposed to just a decline for the, the term not being qualified. Um, some of the other things that we're starting to see, um, and really these are taking a lot more uh, prevalence in the market now, the idea of, alter, of multiple structures or multiple terms for a given vehicle. Um, and if you think back to what a rate sheet looks like in a dealership, it would have a model year and a term and a matrix of rates. Um, we're seeing more and more lenders that want to be able to generate that type of a decision back to the dealer or to the borrower directly, um, where we can plot, you know, several different uh, structure items in a matrix and give the customer alternate rate and payment options at a given set of terms or a given set of model years. And then lastly, um, really around the idea of an alternate product. So the customer applies for a retail loan or an installment loan. Uh, but there's a lease option available on that vehicle as well. So not only giving the customer their, their options on retail, but also let them know what options may be available on a lease. Um, there may be a submitted lease with a lower residual. There may be a, a uh, one-pay lease that would have a lower money factor. Um, so giving the customer all of those options up front and allowing them to choose is really the idea behind the alternate deal structure. 
Gotcha. So are, are there many lenders today offering these alternative deal structures? Or I guess more specifically, does the size or scope of a lender play a factor into whether or not they offer these alternatives? There are lenders that are doing it, um, you know, specifically in the non-prime space. If you consider payment call an alternate deal structure, which which I do, um, you know, there are quite a few of the non-prime lenders out there that are doing it today, and in fact have been doing it for a number of years. I was doing them, you know, back in the late '90s when I was on the credit desk for a non-prime lender. So that concept's been around for quite a while. Um, as we look at the other newer types of alternate deal structures around, you know, different product options or different uh, matrix options. Um, they've been around for a while, uh, but the technology was somewhat uh, internally developed, so they, uh, not a lot of lenders were doing it um, because they had technology hurdles to be able to deliver that to the dealer or to the customer directly. Um, now that the technology is starting to catch up with the concept, we're starting to see more and more lenders try to go that route. And, and I know of a number of them that are looking to implement it or already in flight doing that. Uh, size and scope really are not major factors anymore um, because anybody can do some of these uh, depending on their technology budget or even doing it manually. Um, so the size and the scope are not really as big of a deal, but the technology obviously as that becomes more prevalent will become less expensive and the ability to automate some of this will become more available to, to smaller lenders as the technology gets more bandwidth. Gotcha. And as a fault to that, you mentioned that non-prime um, lenders are the ones who have used these alternative deal structures in the past quite a bit. So are, are these structures just for those non-prime subprime um, borrowers? Or you know, I guess, why would the prime and super prime consumer base need or even want a structure like this? It really comes down to service levels. Um, when I was managing the non-prime credit desk, we used payment calls really as a way to give that dealer better service. And that service came in the form of flexibility. Um, so we would go back and say, you know, we'll give you a $500 payment at 110% advance. And that gave the dealer the flexibility to work with the borrower to find a car and a, and a structure of a finance option that would meet that approval. So put the power back in the customer and the dealer's hands to do what was best for that particular customer. Um, but that service level really is, is critical in the prime market as well, especially today. Um, borrowers are not willing to wait, you know, hours or days. They're really, in a lot of cases, not willing to wait minutes. I mean, we're, you know, we're kind of getting into an instant gratification type of a finance market where people want to know immediately what their decision is and what options are available to them. Um, so from a, a prime borrower for that online uh, customer that wants to get that initial credit decision before they go into the store, for that prime lender to be able to offer multiple options to that customer at the point of decision and point of credit application really is going to empower the borrower to then to make their, their own decisions before they ever walk into the store. Um, if you think about it from your own personal perspective, if you're a borrower and you have to choose between two lenders and the first one says, hey, here are the five ways you can finance this particular vehicle, and lender B says, here's the credit approval for exactly what you asked for, which one are you more likely to go with? And the answer is people want the flexibility. Typically, they're going to pick the one that they feel is working with them, and that builds loyalty, and that builds you know, a value-based uh, relationship with that particular lender. Gotcha. So how are these structures good for business, so to speak, for a lender? You know, I mean, can these structures essentially improve approval rates or um, you know, any other insight into um, how that can really help a lender? Sure. So if you think about it, alternate deal structures are really improving both the, the approval rate itself, but more importantly, it's improving the book-to-look ratios. 
Um, and when you combine that with the fact that if we can automate a lot of these processes, especially around auto condition, that's also improving the auto decision rates. You know, those are really three of the key metrics that lenders use when they look at their efficiency. Um, and by doing this, we're able to actually increase our revenue while decreasing cost. And that comes out of the simple fact that if I'm cashing more contracts on more approvals of the same number of applications, that's generating more revenue at a constant cost. Uh, and better, if I'm able to up my auto decision rates, I'm actually getting more throughput with the same headcounts. I'm actually increasing my efficiency there as well. Those folks then can be used either to go out and generate new business, um, or we can reduce our cost over time. So always lenders win just through the greater efficiency that this process uh, brings into the mix. And then when you think about the fact that the auto conditions, um, those declines are costing money because there's absolutely no opportunity there for revenue. So the conditions are taking deals that would have been declined and actually providing that additional revenue in the form of cash contracts that otherwise would have been lost. Sure. And so if the alternative deal structures can get the borrower approved in another structure when their request doesn't meet the lender policy or, you know, something like that, does this mean lenders can ultimately coax the borrower into a loan that is less risky for the lender? Absolutely. Um, if you think about it, in many cases, the applications that are being turned down are less to do with the actual pure credit risk of the customer. Uh, especially when you look at full-spectrum lenders, a lot of them are going to have financing options for the majority of customers that come in the door. So if you're able to look at things on an auto condition basis, so it's an older vehicle, they don't offer extended terms, uh, or the customer, in order to qualify at a given term they ask for, the payment ratio would be too high in order to fit within the budget. Restructuring those deals gives to put the customer into a structure that is less risky for the lender actually is better for the customer because it gives them a better sense that they can afford that particular payment and budgets within whatever their you know, monthly debt service will allow. That builds trust between the borrower and the lender, and that'll help lead those borrowers to that lender, not only for that given application that they're trying to push through, but also any potentially for future financing options. And Scott, my last question for you um, is just in addition to alternative deal structures, what other strategies should lenders keep in mind as we enter 2018? I think 2018 is going to continue to see the rise of the borrower um, in, in terms of that, this hybrid indirect direct model that we're seeing in dealer finance. Um, the borrowers want to be able to originate and educate themselves about their finance options online. But we still have the dealerships that are bringing a tremendous amount of value to the transaction, and we don't want to disaffect the dealer from the process. So that partnership between the dealer and the lender and the manufacturer in order to give the borrower what they're looking for and meet their expectations, I think we're going to see more and more lenders starting to shift that way, and we're going to start to see more and more of the borrowers really getting the experience that they're looking for. Um, the other thing I'm really interested in seeing is where this, the car sharing and the subscription services that we've seen a couple of the manufacturers roll out in autonomous vehicles. Um, they're going to have a big impact on the auto finance industry over the next several years, and I'm really excited to see where that's going to end up. Um, and when I look back over my history in the auto finance space, and I've been doing this for over 25 years, almost 25 years now, um, I see more change over the last couple of years and certainly at a much faster pace than what I've seen previously. And I'm really excited to see where it takes us over the next couple of years.
Great. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Um, to our listeners, you can um, view more podcasts on our website at autofinanceexcellence.org. And Scott, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you, Natalie. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Thank you.